0: You go to Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three, as we continue in a series that we have entitled "Resilient," and uh, the whole idea behind this series is that we are as a. Church running after um, raising up resilient disciples, in other words, what we are after as a church is we want to be uh, filled with men and women who not only can survive but thrive in the midst of the extreme and harsh conditions that we find ourselves living in in the world today. Um, I was reading this morning on the front porch in the book of Jeremiah, and I just came across this verse and I thought, man, that sums up a resilient disciple perfectly. It says in Jeremiah seventeen, "Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord." whose confidence is in him, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. He does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's what we're after as a church, men and women who look like that. And what we've been talking about so far in the series is that to run after being a resilient disciple is really an uphill battle. And so we've shared this each week, but according to Barner Research, what they found is whenever they polled people between the ages of 18 to 29 years of age who grew up in the church, um, only 10% of those they polled were uh, would be identified as resilient disciples. In other words, only 10% are those who are actually being transformed and transforming the world around them. And so again, um, what we are running after in this si- uh, in this series and as a church is not popular. Uh, to run after this puts you in the minority. Um, but in the end, what Jesus says is, though this is a narrow way, if you will walk it in the end, you'll find life. And so just as a way of recapping, I think we can put this on the screen. If not, I should be able to remember them. But um, what we have said is that to be a resilient disciple is really to give your life to, uh, to six things. Today we'll talk about the seventh, but so far what we have covered is that to be a resilient disciple is to be someone who practices the way of Jesus. That means you reorder all of your life, not just your Sunday, but your everyday around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Uh, After that, we talked about to be a resilient disciple is to be rooted in the scriptures. It's also to be empowered by the Spirit. It's to be given to compassionate mission, committed to extravagant generosity, dedicated to abundant simplicity, and then today, as we kind of come to a close in our marks of a resilient disciple, what we're going to share is maybe one of the most radical ones of them all, and that is uh, to be a resilient disciple is to share a life with a loving family. Now, this sounds real warm, and it sounds, you know, nice, but this definitely, uh, in order for us to run after this, we need to know it was going to be an uphill battle in our culture. In fact, I don't know if you saw this survey, but last year, uh, over 20,000 adults were surveyed by the global health company Cigna. And what they came up with was what they called the Cigna Loneliness Index. And here's what they found. Of the 20,000 adults that they surveyed, 61% of Americans felt alone or left out. 61%. So over 6 out of 10 adults, they, they, they feel like, even though they're digitally connected, um, they're actually relationally very disconnected. They don't feel like there's anybody who really knows them, someone they can lean on and they can trust, who is with them kind of in the, and, and even the mess and the hard stuff of life. And you need to keep in mind that this survey actually came out before the global pandemic. And so since uh, COVID-19, um, according to research, you can go look for this yourself, but some people say that that number has grown by 25 to 31%. So almost 85 to 86% of people in America right now feel regularly these kind of feelings of loneliness or being left out. And this actually creates a big problem because according to the CDC, listen to some of these stats, loneliness increases the risk of cardiovascular disease by 29%. It increases your chance of stroke by 32% and dementia by 50%. Not to mention, uh, loneliness has also been associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Similarly, uh, loneliness is associated with poor coping mechanisms such as compulsive uh, technology use, porn addiction, smoking, and Netflix binging. I did that last one, by the way, on myself. I didn't actually say that in the report. This is why, according to the HRSA, listen to this, loneliness or social isolation is as damaging to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is why, in the words of Mother Teresa Loneliness has become the leprosy of our modern society. Or in the words of God himself in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. Whether you are an extrovert or an introvert, young or old, rich or poor, if you want to experience the life God created you to experience, if you want to be a resilient disciple, if you don't just simply, in these times we are living in, simply survive but thrive, you cannot go with this life alone alone. You need deep and intimate relationships. And again, though this sounds good, it is a major uphill battle in our culture. And I would say it's an uphill battle for three reasons. One, um, it's an uphill battle because we are a culture of convenience. Meaning we have been taught if you want to experience a happy life, you need to take the path of least resistance. You need to have easy on and off ramps. That way, whenever the relationship gets kind of, you know, sticky or, or, you know, somebody doesn't meet your expectations, you can bail as soon as it gets difficult. Um. Also, we know that, that running after, you know, deep relationships is hard in our culture because uh, we are a culture of transients, meaning we are on the move. I saw a statistic this past week that said that, that we are right now, or actually travel in America has increased by 170% over the last 20 years. Think about that. So we are moving more than ever. We are traveling more than ever. On top of that, we move houses more than ever. We switch jobs more than ever. And because it's hard to to, to develop deep relationships apart from establishing deep roots, right? Community, again, is an uphill battle in our culture. I would also say um, that this is an uphill battle because uh, narcissism is growing in our culture. And if you know anything about narcissism, you know it comes from... Um, you know, the, the myth of Narcissus, which is from the Greek mythology. And if you know the story, what happens, right? Narcissus, there he is, he's walking one day, he sees his reflection in the water and he's so enamored by his beauty, he just can't take his eyes off of his reflection. And what happens? He eventually ends up starving to death. Now, next slide. Fortunately, um, we don't have to deal with this in our culture today, right? I mean, none of us ever look at ourselves too much. But for those people out there, Right, We know that we are now, because of our culture, finding ourselves in a soil mixed with convenience, transience, and narcissism. And in this kind of soil, loneliness, like a weed, is bound to grow and choke the life out of us. And therefore, it's in light of this that I cannot think of a time that we need more than ever to revisit what I would say is Jesus' most radical teaching in the Bible which comes out of Mark chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, hopefully you are there, Mark 3. And I do want to say, by the way, um, to those of you who don't know me, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, in case you're wondering who I am. If you're online, uh, my name is Jared. Welcome. Glad you're here. And so um, if you do want more information about us as a church, click on a Connect link. It's going to be dropped, I think, online for you. Or if you're here, grab the Connect card in the back of your seat, fill it out turn it in, leave it on your, de- on your, uh, on your desk, on your chair. Um, that'll be great. We'll come pick it up, serve you the best we can. So totally forgot to say that at the beginning. So just thought I'd throw it in right there. It just felt right, you know, in that moment. So Mark 3, I'm reading from the NIV translation. As always, the notes are on the U version Bible app if you want to grab them there. Mark 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will or whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, In order to understand how radical this teaching is, you need to have a little bit of historical context. And what you need to understand is that in the first century, which is when Jesus was alive, Jesus lived in what anthropologists call a strong group society. And here's, I think, a snapshot, we can put it on the screen for you, of what a strong group society is like. This comes from New Testament scholar Bruce Molina. Listen to this. In a strong group society, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group, and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary, only if in accord with the group's norms and only if the action is in the group's best interest. The group takes priority over the individual member. Okay, That is a strong group society, and that has been true of Korean culture, it is true of Arabic culture, it is true of African culture, it's pretty much true of any culture down throughout history and across the globe, except for America. And in America, what we live in is what anthropologists call a weak group society, meaning a society where the individual has priority over the group. A society where my desires and my preferences and my happiness is more important than it is to the group. And so this is the air we breathe in America. But you need to know this was alien to Jesus and to those in the New Testament. Because again, they lived in a strong group society. And what you need to understand in order to understand how radical Jesus' teaching is, is the strong group that you would attach to in the first century the primary group, listen to me, that would shape all of your decisions and your life as a whole would be your biological family. It would be your mother. It'd be your father. It'd be your brothers and your sisters. And therefore, what makes this teaching so radical is Jesus, he comes on the scene in Mark 3 and he redefines family. Which means he redefines what your strong group is. And in doing so, listen to me, what he says here is that the kingdom family supersedes your biological family. Hear that again. Jesus says in Mark 3, his kingdom family supersedes our biological family. I think back to verse 34, where again, Jesus says, here are my mother and my brothers Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother, while his biological family was left outside the door. So we read this and we're like, okay, well, that's cool. But to Jesus, again, this is his way of putting his kingdom family ahead of our natural family. And this is why Jesus would go on to say crazy things like this in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Listen to this one. Talking about hard sayings from Jesus if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Anybody hear that one in Sunday school class, right? Have that on the felt board somewhere. This is Jesus for if you want to be my follower, you have to be willing to give up your own blood family for the sake of my kingdom family. And if you can't do that, you can't be my disciple. That's what he literally says. Now, can we just all agree here that this is wildly at odds with the weak group society? Like, does anybody else read that and be like, that sounds crazy, right? I, I, I mean, think back to that definition of a strong group society, okay? And, and, and I took some liberties this week to actually replace the word group with the word church. And I want to read this definition with to you again. And, and pay attention what happens in your heart as I read this. Can we put this back on the screen, the definition? Okay, listen to this. This is just strong group society. Took the word group out, put the word church in. In a church, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a church and responsible to the church for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the church and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with church norms and only if the action is in the church's best interests. The church has priority over the individual member. Now, how many of you right now are freaking out just a little bit? You're like, I knew this was a cult. I knew it. Like, (laughs) let's get to the door immediately. Like, very few of us, when we think of the church, think of this. But listen, as crazy as it sounds, if you are a child of God the Father, you are a brother or sister in a family, whether you like it or not. And if you don't believe me, just go read the New Testament. Like, go read Paul's letters, and you'll see that Paul's great a favorite metaphor to use when describing a Christian is not a Christian, it's not a disciple, it's not a saint, it's a brother or sister, it's someone who is in a family. And this is because, and please get this, the good news of the gospel is not just that one day you're forgiven of your sins and you'll die and go, and to, go to be in heaven. That's not just like the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel, more than it being just about forgiveness of sin, it's about adoption into a family. Like more than the gospel being about you being declared righteous, it's about being declared a son and daughter of God this is why in the baptisms which weren't they beautiful earlier like praise god we get to celebrate those love seeing it but but it's why if you paid attention when we baptize somebody we baptize them what in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit why do we baptize the name of the father well first off jesus told us to do it he commanded us to do it but he commanded us to do it because he wants people to know that when they go into the waters and they come out like you are a part of the family of god god is your father You are his son. You are his daughter. You've gone from being uh, an enemy to being his beloved child, and now you are a part of a family that he is building that will last, as Luke said, throughout an eternity. All that said, the main thing I want you to understand this morning is this, and I can put it on the screen for you. But Jesus' vision for the church is that of a family. We say this all the time, but I need to say it again. The church is not a building The church is not an event. The church is not a religious rotary club where you you go and you get a friend in the name of Jesus. The church, according to the Bible, is a family. And so I just want to ask you, I'm going to get some feedback from you on this, like speak out loud. What does healthy families do? They eat together. Very good. Eating is so sacred. By the way, if you've never read the book, A Meal Time with Jesus, I would recommend it. Jesus, it's interesting. When you read the Gospels, he's always either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or eating a meal. In just a moment, we're going to take a communion together. Of all the ways that Jesus said, I want you to remember my death and what I've done for you, he doesn't say like, here's a cross, stare at it. He says, take food. Right? So eating's very important as a family. By the way, I would say this with your biological family. If there's One thing you want to take away from this that you can apply to have a healthier biological family, carve out time to eat together, eat a meal. So very important. What else? What's that? They pray together. Excellent. Or even worship together, we could say as well. What else does healthy families do? Play together. Did someone say that? Yep. Very good. What was another one? What's that? Celebrate together. They forgive one another. Yep, that's assuming they do fight. So family, there's gonna be friction. What else? Cherish. What's that? Cherish. Cherish, absolutely, love one another. That's huge. How about eat? Uh, we can throw that one up there again. How about eat a second time? So that's good. Any others? What's that? I, I'm so bad at hearing. Mourn, Mourn together. Yes. Serve, yes. I mean, the list could go on. Another one that I had in here that we don't like to talk about is they hold each other accountable. As you know, throughout the scriptures, there's this thing called church discipline that occurs over and over again in the New Testament. We don't like to talk about this, but but it's basically out of love for the whole church because what you do impacts me and impacts others there's this thing called church discipline where literally in a family what you do is that you go to somebody who's in sin you call them to to confess their sin to repent of their sin if they refuse to do it you go to them again if they refuse to do it eventually you put them outside of the family so that literally they don't spread poison and pain to the whole group because again like this whole idea of hey dude this what my business is my business and you just kind of stay out of it what i do doesn't matter to you that's not true that's not a biblical idea. Like, because we're a part of one unit, what your sin impacts me and impacts others. So, there's this, like, healthy balance, a balance of accountability. Here's another one I thought of this week. Healthy families, do they make decisions together? Yeah. Yes. I should not walk in and just tell my wife, we're moving to Wyoming. Like, whatever you, it doesn't matter. Like, and I'm, I'm switching jobs or, i like, but yet, like, oftentimes, isn't that what we do in the church? It's like, I'm switching jobs or, Hey, guess what? I'm getting married or I'm moving here. I'm moving in. I'm like, you're, we're the last people to hear about it, but healthy family, like they make decisions together, right? They share resources. They share responsibilities. My kids can go now from me having to feed them to them being able to feed themselves. And so now even them being able to feed others and cleaning up after themselves, right? Like there's more that I could share, but let me just ask you this. When you think about all of that, is this what you think of when you think of the church? Or if you can be honest, are you like, no, man, I just think of a Sunday gathering. <laughs> that's all I ever think about, going to church on Sundays, right? Or I just think of an event, or I think of, you know, this kind of box that I check, or yeah, I do think of it just a place where I get a friend in Jesus, and then if I get in trouble, I call the pastors, or I call the church, and they bail me out when I'm in trouble. Like, is that your view of church? And listen, if that's where you are, no judgment for me. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but you need to know If that's what you believe about the church, it's because you've been discipled by American Christianity. Like your view of the church is normal, but it's not biblical. Like you did not get that understanding from Jesus and the writers of the New Testament. And so here's what I want to do in the time we have left as a way of kind of just realigning our hearts around Jesus and his vision for the church. Um, I just want to share with you four key takeaways, things that we're going to have to apply to our lives if we're going to become resilient disciples. And so I'll try to move through these fairly quickly. But here's number one. Number one takeaway in a lot of everything i said is you need to realize this. A church family is non-optional for your discipleship to Jesus. 41% of Christians believe their spiritual life is entirely private, according to Barna Research. Another 37% say they want to be discipled on their own. And you need to know as good as like solo discipleship sounds, it cannot be done. It can't be done. Um, there are actually 59 one another's in the scripture. And I think we can put some of these on the screen for you. But guys, these are commands. Listen to this. Love one another. Encourage one another. Be devoted to one another. That means whenever things get rough, you don't bail. Honor one another. That is a command. We were actually commanded by Paul to out outdo one another in honor. Can you imagine a culture where every time I was around you every time you're around me or others, you actually felt honored. You felt built up. Teach one another. Did you know that you're commanded to be able to teach others? To command. Let's go to the next screen. Serve one another. Forgive one another. That means, again, that we're around each other so often that you're going to eventually see sin in my life. I'm not going to be able to just pretend forever. And I just want to ask you, by the way, right now, for a moment, if I can capture your attention again. Is there anybody right now that you're holding a grudge against in our church? Is there anybody who has disappointed you or let you down or hurt you and maybe you've written them off in your heart? I encourage you to pay attention to that nothing can really divide the church quicker or hurt the church faster i think than, than unresolved bitterness division between people here's another one speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another did you know you're commanded to do that how do you do that when you're on your own you just sing to me i'm gonna sing to you confess sins another command confess sins to one another and pray for one another There are many more that I could share, but here's just my point. Guys, you can't do any of that in isolation. You can't. You, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, have to be connected to a church community. Secondly, a church family is the primary context for where you are transformed. Hear hear this, okay? Thanks to neuroscience, we now know, with empirical evidence... That every child is born looking for one thing. You know what it is? Attachment. It's looking for someone to attach to relationally. That they know wants to be with them. It is why a baby, when it is nursing, will often look up and make eye contact with his or her mom. What's it looking for? Attachment. Now here's the thing. If you as a baby or a child had poor attachment with your parents... You'll have very poor attachment as an adult. You will not know how to do relationships well at all. And not just with the people, but with God. And so, for example, if you had parents who were emotionally unavailable, maybe they were just busy or they were stressed out and anxious or whatever, they just couldn't attach to you, you will develop, psychology tells us, what's called avoidant patterns, which means you will have a hard time trusting other people and will kind of keep them at arm's length because you'll be afraid they could hurt you. Um, uh, here's another example. If you had parents who say were um, just unreliable, that is, you couldn't really rely on, them, you will develop what they call anxious patterns. So it's not that you'll distrust other people, you'll distrust yourself. And so you won't want people to get close to you because you think if they get close to me, they can see the real me, they wouldn't really, really wouldn't like me. And here's what you have to understand. In order for you to receive healing around that, in order for you to see for transformation learn how to do relationships well with God and others, More than you need a sermon, more than you need a book, more than you need a Sunday gathering, you need to be reparented by God in his church family. That is the way that he plans to heal you and transform you. And I know that's scary for you because it's in relationships that we are hurt, but it is only in relationships that we are healed. And so there are a lot of passages we could read on this, but let me just read this one over you. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll talk about this more next week as Adam and I come up here and try to tie a bow in this whole series and talk about some key changes coming in our church in lot of the series. But listen to what Paul says here in verse 11. So Christ gave to the church the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service. So the pastors don't do the ministry. They equip people for ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature... We're resilient disciples, right? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by ways and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Rather than being like a tree that's snapped in half as soon as the storms come, we're resilient, right? We're like that Baobab tree we talked about in the very first message. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body, of him who is the head that is in Christ, for him, him, for in him, or from him, I'm sorry, the whole body that is the church is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's you and me, and grows and builds itself up in what in love as each part does its work. As each part does, we see what Paul is saying here. He's saying if you want to mature, guys, if you want to grow up, it's not just going to happen from a Bible study. And I'm all about Bible studies. I've got a master's in the Bible. But that's not the primary way it's going to happen. It's also not going to happen just from you going to church. You're going to have to connect to the church like a ligament and begin to work together. And as that happens, in love, you will be healed. You will be transformed. You will grow and mature into a resilient disciple. So first, a church family is not optional in your discipleship. Second, a church family is the primary context for where you are transformed. Third, This is very important. A church family is never ideal. Amen? And it requires a ton of intentionality and commitment. Isn't it funny how we read Acts 2 and Acts 4, and we say, man, I want a church like that. So you read Acts 2 and Acts 4, and you're like, man, they're in perfect unity. They're sharing their belongings. They're eating meals together. They're encouraging and praying for one another. God is adding to the number every day. Those who are being saved are like, man, what an amazing community. If I just had a church like that, then I'd be happy. Well, what we fail to do is go to Acts 5. Because right after Acts four, where it's amazing, right? You go to Acts five, and you have a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who sell some land. They lie about uh, how much money they made on it, so they didn't have to give as much money to the church. And so, what happens? Bam! God kills them. Bam! <laughs> right there in the church service. You imagine that? So we, you know, Robert gets up on the screen. Hey, now's a good time to give tithes and offering. Text it in, tithe, and people just start falling out because they're lying about how much they can give. <laughs> what a church, right? It's not so ideal anymore, is it? You go to Acts 6, grumbling and complaining. You read Paul's letters. People are having affairs with their mom or mother-in-law, right? I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It's, It's filled with debauchery. It's an absolute mess. And it's so important that you get that because that's just the way church is. You know, we say all the time, this is a place where you can come as you are. And that's beautiful, isn't it? Problem is, people come as they are, (laughs) which means they all got junk they haven't dealt with yet, right? And I do, and you do, we're imperfect, and we're broken, and we have to try to figure out how to stumble towards Jesus together. If you don't get this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to put unhealthy expectations on this church, and you know what will happen? You'll either crush people with your expectations, and they'll get away from you and leave, Or they won't meet your expectations and you'll think the church is the problem and not you. And you'll go try to find another church. Or just another missional community or whatever else. It's just what we do. The church is filled with broken, sinful, hurt, messy people. Just like me. And just like you. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the following in his seminal work life together. He's talking about community here. He's saying in community, we don't merely bear one another's burdens. The true burden is bearing one another. Isn't that true? We overlook an offense. We forgive. We show mercy and grace and disabuse ourselves of our own pipe dreams and illusions of Christian community in order for the power of that community to actually begin to take effect. Some of you have seen this before. Um, I call this the Crappy Valley graphic. Do we have that? There it is. Thank you, Robert, for if wherever he's at, for giving me the 2.0 version of this. And so this is, the, this is the phases that we all go in in community. So anytime you step into a church or community, you start out on what I would call honeymoon hill. You guys know what I mean by that? rosy red glasses this church is amazing that pastor's so funny man like they get it like the programs are great the music is just out of this world and then they've played the same songs several times Right? you played a new song today so that doesn't work but like you know but eventually like you hear the same songs right and eventually you hear the same jokes and 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 you start right like realizing that the people here aren't really that perfect. And you get into community, and at first it's like, Man, you're incredible and I'm incredible. Oh, you're an engineer, that's awesome. I've always wanted to be an engineer and blah blah blah. Like all that, oh you love Jesus and that's incredible, and yada yada yada. But then what happens? There's a letdown. And people's kids put their hands in the chip bag during COVID nineteen. And you're like, Why do we even have why don't we just have individual bags of chips, right? Like, why didn't people do that? Right? And so it's like That happens or stuff gets broken or you begin to realize this person's annoying and they cut me off and they talk about stuff that I don't really care about. But I have to act like I'm listening so they can shut up and then I can share what I really want to share. And it's like all of this happens and you enter into what I would call crappy valley. And it's usually in crappy valley people are like, see you later, right? Like deuces heading down the street, right? Right. But it's only whenever you go through Crappy Valley and you begin to work towards and through those issues that you get up on Family Mountain. And Family Mountain is the place where, as we've already said, we experience true uh, true transformation. The life, the joy that God created us to experience. And that leads me into my final point, and it's this. The church family is essential for a life well lived. A church family is essential no matter who you are or where you come from, for a life well lived. On page one of the Bible, God says when he's creating man, let us make man in our image. You ever asked yourself this question, who's the us? Some people say, oh, it's the angels. Well, we're not created in the image of angels. Who's the us? It's the Father, it's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder that from the beginning of the creation of the world, God has existed in a web of relationships and according to Jesus, who calls God Father, in a web of family. This is why Dr. Gary Bashir says this, the beautiful saying, he says, God is a family who builds a family. Rich Plass who's had a big impact on, on Adam, myself, and our church says this in light of the Genesis 1 passage, you are designed for and defined by relationships. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with one another. This is why if you've ever been in a recovery group, they'll tell you one of the worst things you can do if you're trying to recover from addiction is isolate. Why is that? Because you were not made to fight your battles alone. And I can't fight my battles alone either. If I can just be vulnerable for a moment, this has been a really hard season on me. Um, and I don't want to be like melodramatic or whatever else, but it's like, you know, this time last year I was looking and we, like we were having our largest Sunday gathering attendance. And I know we've always been like, we don't measure success by attendance, but the truth is we were made to see people's faces. There's something powerful about that. And so when you look out and you see everybody here and the, you know, two services are packed and and you see them and they see you. There's just something about that that makes you feel safe as a pastor. Like, okay, like we're growing. People are here with me. We're heading in the right direction. Everything is as it should be. And this past year, I mean, honestly, because I don't think I've seen probably 70% of our church in the last six months. Like, like that, that makes me sad. That's hard. Like, as a pastor who can't see that people, I mean, like, there's times where honestly, I was telling someone, and there are people that walk away from the church in the season, and they get mad over, you're not enforcing masks. And this person's mad over, you are enforcing masks. This person's like, oh, you're a liberal. And this person's like, oh, where's your faith? And it's just like, there's fighting, and there's people leaving. It's like, oh, I'm just going to do online church for here on out because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, God, man, I mean, it's just like, I was telling someone this past week, it's, it's like, honestly, I've come to this place where I feel like every week, I walk out and I just, I'm in a boxing match. And I just get hit in the face over and over again. And then I go back to the corner. And every time I go back to the corner, it gets harder to get back up. And, and I'll will be honest, like, I just say all that not to like get sympathy or whatever, but I want you to understand this. If it wasn't for community, I'm not sure I would continue, still be a pastor right now. If it wasn't for people like, Adam and and Robert and Heather and and my wife and and, and some of you in this room who've continued to just text and encourage and be like, I love you and I'm praying for you and you're not crazy and and when we're in the trenches together and God is good and we're gonna run, like that has made all the difference in the world. That's what allows me to keep getting up and continue to go after what I believe God has put in my heart. And and I just want you to say, like, listen, like, community is not just something I need. You gotta understand, I guess, it's something you need. Like, we need this. Like, if you don't take Jesus' word seriously, you are going to find yourself alone. And I don't care if you're introverted or not, there is nobody more desperate than someone who's alone. You were not created to do life on the surface level. You were not made just for 5,000 one-inch-deep relationships on Facebook. You were made for depth. You were made for community. You were made for the church, for a place where you can show up and know you can be fully known, you can belong, and you can be loved. Guys, 2020 has been hard. Yes? On anybody other than than me, right? It's been hard. I've seen a lot of you shake your hands. We are in a wilderness right now. Don't be naive. We are in a wilderness. And if you're like, actually 2020 has been better than ever for me. Well, the wilderness is coming for you. And one of the great things about the church is God gave you the church so you don't have to walk alone in the woods. Like that's why he's given us the church. This idea that all I need is God. Just me and God. God didn't tell you that. That sounds really spiritual. But it's not even biblical. Biblical. If God thought all you needed was just you and God, he would have never given us the church. You and I were designed for and defined by relationships. And listen, I know the temptation is to bail in this season. I get it. There's now more than ever, you can make an excuse not to be in community and who in the world going to get on to you about it, right? The temptation is totally, and I get it, to just do online service, in my pajamas, right? Kind of check in, check out, listen to a podcast whenever I can. But you need to know, like if you're ever going to be a resilient disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to reject that. And you're going to have to step into community. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this, and, and I'll share it and we'll close. Do not neglect meeting together as some are already in the habit of doing. Some are already in the habit of doing it. You realize this was written to a church who was facing persecution for meeting together. People were literally being killed. People were literally losing their lives because they gathered. And the writer of Hebrews says, actually, I'll tell you something way more dangerous than persecution: it's isolation. Don't be isolated, pull together, get involved in community. Yes, if you don't gather, you may survive but you'll never really experience the life that you were created to experience. And as we said each week, that is what Jesus has on offer for us. It is life, deep life, full life. It is complete life. This is a narrow path, guys. I'm telling you, it is a narrow path. And you're going to be tempted to take the broad way, but Jesus says if you will go on the narrow path, it will be risky, it will be difficult, it will require discipline, but in the end you will experience life and life to the fullest. With that said, I want to transition now to a time of communion. Everybody get one of these? If you have one, go ahead and pull it out. And I know this isn't ideal, but I want to bring the band up. The band can go ahead and come up. And before we shuffle around too much, here's what I want you to think about as we partake of communion. One of the most beautiful things about Jesus is Jesus didn't just tell us what we need. He came to give us what we need. So Jesus, one of the great things I love about Jesus, he doesn't just tell you, hey, you need family. Uh, he came to give you family. He came through his life, death, and resurrection to bring you, to give you access to a father and into this messy group of brothers and sisters that will move on forever. And so here's just what I want you to think about as you take communion. And, and, and during the song, I would just encourage you, um, we haven't even talked about how we're going to do this, but why don't we just do this? Why don't we just stay seated in a song? Is that okay? And let the band play over us. And here's what I want you to ask yourself as you tear off a little film here and you grab your little wafer before you just down it and we head out of here. Ask yourself this question, where do I most need to be reminded of the love of the Father today? Where do I most need to believe this story that anybody can be a part of the family of God, that I can go from being an enemy of God to being his child? to being his son, to being his daughter, and that there is nothing I can do that can separate me from that love. Ask yourself that today. I know for me, well, I need to believe it. It's around this idea of, uh, I felt like a real a failure as a pastor in this season. I need to be reminded of the, of the Father's love this morning. And he loves me, he's with me. And so as the band plays, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we can play, and then just, before you just down it, just take a moment and just meditate and ask God, even right now, where do I need to be reminded of your love? then allow the voice of love of Jesus to speak into your life the truth that he is with you, that he is for you, that he has already given you his whole life so that in him you can have the love and the life you're longing for. Father, I thank you so much for each person in the room. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us what we desperately need, which is a a family that is marked by love, a family that is eternal, a family that will be marked forever. Jesus, you tell us, Marriage won't be in heaven. There'll be a lot of relationships that, that we know here that won't be in heaven. But your family will go on forever. Would you please help us to become a church that begins to practice and live that way even right now. And I pray that through our church that people will, will get a taste of something they are desperate for. That we will be the cure to the loneliness epidemic. As we are attached to you, Jesus. That we'll be like the branches on the vine that produce much fruit. That allow others to taste and see how good you really are. And God, I know in order for that to happen, we have to abide in you. So help us to do that, to feel your presence, to feel your love in this moment. And it's in Christ. And then I pray and ask you, Saints, amen.